So we are studying the seven churches of Revelation. There's seven letters that Jesus writes to churches. Now, listen, I want you to understand. I know your heads are down. You're looking at your Bibles. It's great. But um, I, I want you to understand that this is the church age. So these seven churches are chronological. They were historical churches. They, they went for different years. Some of them are, are no longer. Some of them are still churches to this day or denominations to this day. So this covers the entire church age from Jesus, the church of Ephesus that Paul started, all the way to the church in today. Some of the churches that are in here are, um, you know, have, have the marks of the Holy Roman Catholic Church, the, the Protestant Church, other churches. They also have personal application to your life and to my life. And so as we read them, we're not just applying it to some faraway, distant idea of churches in the past and churches in the future, but it says, he who has an ear. Anybody have an ear? Okay, weirdo, how many of you guys got two? Okay, so we have ears to hear. So also there's personal application that we want to apply each one of these to our heart. We left off in verse number eight last week with the persecuted church. Now, every letter has um, a lot of similarities. Everyone has a, an introduction to the angel or the messenger of the church of blank. Now, that word angel is translated in the Bible as messenger. I don't believe that these are angelic beings that these letters are being sent to. I don't know how you would write a letter and put a stamp on it and give it to an angel or send it to an angel. That's a little bit weird to me. The word, I think, is better translated messenger, which would be the, the pastors, if you will, the leaders um, of these, the patriarchs of these church movements, that a physical letter would have been addressed to them and then read to their congregation. Every letter, Jesus says, I know your works in all seven letters. He says in all seven letters um, to him who overcomes. He says in all seven letters to repent. And, and so um, these are the things that are all the same. Every letter has a little introduction of who Jesus is. And so the, the one we're studying now is the persecuted church. Now, just to set the persecuted church up, the persecuted church would have been the church of Smyrna in verse 8. Now, um, there was 10 consecutive Roman emperors from Nero to Constantine. And under these Roman emperors, the church, um, I've heard numbers of 5 million, 8 million, 3 million, but millions of Christians were killed in the first 300 years of our existence. From Pentecost until Constantine, millions of Christians were killed, were persecuted, were set on fire, were fed to lions, were um, Nero would light Christians on fire. Anybody ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? He, he, he um, chronicles, yeah, all that stuff. Um, I'm, I'm reading it again for uh, on tape as we go through this. And so super fascinating going through the history. Fox's Book of Martyrs is just the stories of all the martyrs and all these 10 Roman um, emperors who would have led and would have killed. When Constantine um, became the emperor, he was the 10th one. And we'll get to Constantine in the compromising church in a minute. But let's go through the, the persecuted church first. Verse 8. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first, the last, who was dead and came to life. Who is that? Who was the first and the last who was dead and came to life is obviously Jesus. He died on a cross. He rose again the third day. Every, every letter has a little self-intro of Jesus. And then he says in verse number nine, I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. I love that because they weren't monetarily rich. They were in poverty. But Jesus says of them, 
you, you, but yet you are rich. Because you and I understand that the riches of God are eternal, eternal um, security. They are being in heaven with God forever. They, they are having joy in our hearts in spite of our circumstances. The Apostle Paul said, I know how to abound and I know how to abase. And, and yet I have to find joy in both circumstances. And whether you abound or abase, that God will find joy. And oftentimes what you find out is that people in poverty are, are much more generous than rich people. People in poverty tend to find more joy in life than rich people, oftentimes. And, and so here in this situation, the, the way that God values riches and the way that he estimates riches is not in money. It's in joy. It's in quality of life. It's in relationship with him. And the church in Smyrna is one of the only churches that God has nothing negative to say about them. And they were being persecuted and killed. And, and they were standing strong in the face of persecution. And they were going to their death in the name of Jesus. Roman um, Caesar uh, emperor worship had begun in Rome. And, and the emperors of Rome would require every citizen to take a pinch of incense and, and sprinkle it on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. But the Christians wouldn't do it. And they were being murdered. And every year they would be killed because they wouldn't do it and tortured in terrible ways. And they continued to serve God. They continued to remain faithful. They, their, their, their livelihood would have um, been um, in their jobs and these things. But because they were Christians, they were being ostracized. They were being kicked out. They weren't being hired. They weren't getting good jobs. They didn't have monetary things. The church was going through a ton of persecution during these, these ten emperors from the time of Pentecost till 316 when Constantine passed the Edict of Toleration and he made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire in 316. But for 250 years before that, it was very difficult. But do you know what was happening to the church in, in Rome and around the world at that time during the season of persecution? It was exploding. It was continuing to grow and grow. And then it says, Jesus says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, are a synagogue of Satan. Um, so, so again, those who say they're Jews and they're not, again, we can say that about us, right? Just because you, you, you claim the Jewish heritage is not what, what God is interested. You could say you're a Christian. It doesn't mean you're a Christian. You know what we're going to find as we study through this? The history of the Christian church is dark and you can't defend it. If you have a friend and they want to argue with you that the, that the history of the church is, is bad, don't try to argue with them. Just agree because it's true. The history of the church has some dark periods and some dark times, but God has always had a remnant. You can remember that. God has always had a faithful, but that dark history of the church, it had nothing to do with Jesus. It wasn't real, born-again, spirit-filled Christ followers. A after Constantine, Constantine said he had a vision of a cross in the sky. And he came back to his soldiers and there was words he said written on it that told him he would conquer and have victory over this war that he was going to fight in 316. And he came back and he told all the soldiers to begin to wear crosses and they begin to paint crosses on their shields. And that's where it came from. And they said with the cross they would go out and conquer and battle. And then the crusaders came around and the crusaders were killing people that weren't Christians in the name of Christ. That has nothing to do with Christ. We used to play Christian schools and their, and their school mascot was a crusader. And I'm like, have you read any history about the Christian crusaders? They were hardly Christian. They weren't Christian. And, and what they did in the name of Christ had nothing to do with Christ. And, and Paul says here, they say they're Jews, but they're not. 
And then he says, um, do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw you, some of you into prison like Dan Bauman, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Some believe that 10 days is a reference to the 10 Roman emperors that the church would be under persecution under. And then he says, but be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, God calls you and I to be faithful unto death and he will give us the crown of life. The Bible talks about, this is one of them, the Bible talks about seven different crowns you can earn here um, while you're in the flesh. You guys know what we'll do with these crowns one day? It says we'll take our crowns and we'll throw them at his feet because the only thing that we have and that moment of value are these crowns and because of Jesus's because of the awe factor of Jesus, we just want to worship him and everything that we are in his presence is just like, God, and we're just going to throw these crowns. Those things are not, not even going to be valuable in that moment. And they are the most valuable thing, but we just want to throw them at Jesus's feet. There's seven. We'll do the study later. We won't have time the way this service started to cover what they are today. But do your, you could do the, the homework yourself or stick around long enough and we'll cover what those seven crowns are. And, and um, <coughs> One, one thing I just want you to notice, I do want to kind of cover two churches today at least, but th- this is, Jesus says, I, you're about to suffer for 10 days. Stay strong. Do not be afraid. Why didn't Jesus say, but don't worry, I'm going to show up and I'm going to block you from the lions. I'm going to protect you from this persecution. Instead, could Jesus have stopped millions of Christians in the first and second century from dying? But did he? He didn't. He, he allowed them to go through. I think for them, you know, God bless them, they all got a, got a neat ticket to heaven. But, but he, he chose to allow them to go through this fire. And that's consistent with the Bible, that we will face. The Bible says if you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not kept from the fire. They, they went into the fire, but... God went into the fire with them and they found joy in the midst of the fire and you can find joy in the midst of the fire as God will be with you no matter what you go through. And that's what God promises here. Don't be afraid. You know, I don't know. I often wonder how would I do in the face of some of this persecution? How would I fare being Dan Bauman in an Iranian prison for no reason and every day they pull me out of my cell and beat me? Would, would, I, would I denounce Christ but I say enough is enough. Would I have the strength to be beaten every day for month after month? And I believe that God would just have to supernaturally show up in that moment and give you the strength. And I think part of me processes this idea, which I don't know if it's just there's any reason for whoever faced this or not. But, you know, would God be so disappointed if a Christian facing persecution just threw the pinch on the on the incense so they didn't cover him in wax and light him on fire or feed him to the lions like it wasn't in his heart he just did it to not get beaten i've struggled and wrestled with that that question a lot would god really care and i've come to the conclusion that i believe god does care and i believe that what god's word says consistently is as a christ follower he'll come up, he'll come and he'll give you strength in that moment but you're not to give a pinch of incense to caesar and say caesar is lord because it's not true you're not to bow in the face of persecution do you remember Dylan Klebold? Hope I got his name wrong and butchered it, because it's hot where that dude's at. He was the shooter at Columbine High School. 
And he held the gun up to the kids. And before he shot him, he said, are you a Christian? And if they said yes, he pulled the trigger. And if they said no, he let them go. In the face of that gun, are you a Christian? And you just watched him shoot your Christian friend. Do you say yes? I believe you do. I believe you stand for Jesus and you say yes. And if you, if you, if you process life the way I do, she don't always say yes. She's like, yeah, yes, I'm a Christian right here. I'm going to see Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to walk on streets of gold. Like, is there, is there something about heaven that draws you? Like, I mean, I'm not, gonna, I'm not talking suicide, but I mean, given the opportunity to stay here with you folks or go hang out with Jesus? Like, death, death is not dying. Death is moving. Death is living. Death is going to our eternal home. And so for all those martyrs and all those things, there's a blessing in it. And death lies blessing if you know Jesus. There's a story in, in Fox's book of martyrs. And, and there, was, there was a young man who was a Christian and he was being tortured for his faith and he couldn't handle it and he gave in to the torturers and he denounced Christ in the middle of it so they would stop. And they stopped torturing him. And this is history. It's a true story. He, he walks from his torturers and he doesn't make it 10 yards before something weird happens. He gets wobbly and he falls down dead on the ground. And, and it was a person standing there and said, why would you trade a short time of agony for an eternity in hell? And again, that God's going to show up in the moment and sustain us. And that's what he did in this, this church. And he commends them for it. And he tells them, don't be afraid. And God is going to show up and help us not be afraid in those moments. You know what I've promised you guys as a church? You will not be here for the tribulation period. You will go in the rapture prior to things getting tribulation and God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. But what I can't promise you, what I don't know is will things get bad before the rapture? Will the church face persecution here in America? Will you and I face persecution before the rapture? I don't know the answer to that. Persecution is not strange. You and I don't understand it. But try, try walking down the streets of Tehran with a Bible in your hand. They're going to put you on a diet from your neck up. Try going to Mecca in Saudi Arabia with the Bible in your hand and telling somebody about Jesus. They will take you to Chop Chop Square and they will cut your head off. So, so persecution, um, talk to Dan Bauman, who was being persecuted in Iranian jail, beaten every day because of his faith. It, it is happening on planet Earth, all over the world. Fox's Book of Martyrs is, is a book that chronicles the last 2,000 years of persecution. But if you're interested in the topic, there is a ministry today called The Voice of the Martyrs, that is doing these kind of works and making us aware of what's going on around the world and where our Christian brothers are being murdered for their faith and tortured so we can be praying for them, so we can go if we need to, so we can send money if we need to. The voice of the martyrs. And then he says in verse number 11, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Turn with me really quick to Revelation 20. I want to just teach you guys what the second death is. Chapter 20, verse 14. It tells you what the second death is. He says, those that overcome will not be hurt by the second death in Revelation 2. So you say, what is the second death? Very simple. Verse 14, chapter 20. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is 
the second death. So what is the second death? It's eternal hell. Hades, what is Hades? Death in Hades? Hades is temporary hell. Hades is the hell that exists right now. Gehenna is not yet created. And just like God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth where, where um, Satan and, and those that names are not written in the Lamb's book of life where they're going to spend eternity it is, is Gehenna. It's, it's right here. Verse 14, Then death and Hades were cast into Gehenna. This is the second death. So basically the second death is that when you die without Jesus and, and, and you're, you're cast into an eternal fire. That's what the second death is when you see that in the Bible. So if you're a Christian, you'll only die once. You'll never experience the second death. You won't be here for this. This is what we call the great white throne judgment in that chapter. You won't be there. But if, if, if we go up in the rapture, we may be group, the only group of people besides Enoch and Elijah who never tasted death at all. And uh, Elijah is going to come back and taste death. So we'll be in a unique class. We won't even taste death once. And then, and then uh, verse number 12. We only got about five minutes left, but I'd like to cover some of this if I can. Now we switch to another church. This church's heading is called what? The Compromising Church. This is where Constantine takes over. This is around 360, where this was the church that, that in history that we see. And what, again, I've already explained to you basically what happened. Rome was persecuting Christians. They were killing Christians. There were different Roman emperors who passed laws um, during this 300 or during these 10 consecutive Roman emperors. And they would say, if you see, it was they were treating them like they were rats or coyotes or pigeons. And the laws of Rome would say, if you see a Christian on the street, it's lawful for you to go and kill him. So in, in 316, when Constantine had this epiphany and says he had a born-again experience and he makes Christianity the state-run religion, what Constantine did, now pay attention, this is super important. This is historical, this is, this is Bible, this is important to understand this. Constantine's conversion always comes under scrutiny. Some believe he had a genuine conversion. Many believe he did not have a genuine conversion because his life didn't bear the fruits that, that they should have as a, as a Christ follower. But what Constantine did was, you know, when, when we made Christianity the state religion, he had all these, it was, the, Rome was polytheistic, and they had all these different gods. And so he just married the two together. And, and he just took paganism and Christianity, and he put them together. Why do we celebrate Jesus' birthday on December 25th? Jesus was not born on December 25th. He was born in the spring, probably in April. That was a pagan festival, a pagan holiday of Tammuz, the, the miracle child who was born in the winter solstice, the, the miracle child of Nimrod and Semiramis and carried over into every culture, um, the Greeks and the Romans, and everybody had a, a version of that Babylonian religion from Genesis 11. And, and so um, he merged the church and the world. And he compromised. That's why it's called the compromising church. And so Jesus is going to have some serious stuff to say about this idea of the church, you and I compromising with the world. You know, one of the things that you see here in church sometimes is folks come to church, they know Jesus, but they're still doing things in the world, partying or whatever they're doing in the world that, that's sinful. And, and they have one foot in the world and they have one foot in the church. But because they have one foot in the church, the foot in the world is miserable. 
And because they have one foot in the world, the foot in the church is miserable. So I'll tell you, just get the foot out of the world and put them both in the church and stop compromising because, and God is going to have some strict warnings and, and things to say for those that compromise. Now, th- this is what's super important. Listen, Satan realized, and it took him a long time, 300 years or more, 300 years since the conception of the church. It took Satan 300 years to realize that persecution wasn't working. Every time he killed Christians, starting with the first martyr in the book of Acts, Stephen, the church grew. The church grew under persecution. The church got stronger. So Satan said, I can't beat the church from the outside. So what did he do? He joined it. And he said, I'm going to go now on the inside. I'm going to join the church. And that's more effective and more how Satan works today. And so rather than attacking it from the outside, he joined it. Now, um, why it's so dangerous? Because what Satan couldn't do from the outside, he did from the inside. Under persecution, you know why it's so, why it's so effective? Listen, if you came here and, and you knew that people right here are being murdered for their faith, they're being tortured for their faith, how many of you guys are going to sign up to be a member of our church? You, you might at least count the cost before you join a church where the people are being murdered and tortured for their faith. You would really have to have devotion and know Jesus intimately and personally to willingly sign up to be murdered. You're not coming here for a social club. You're not coming here to hang out and get a cup of coffee. You're coming for the right reasons because you love Jesus and you're madly in love with Jesus and you don't care the consequences and you know up front that there's a cost of discipleship. And when you join the church, it's not like the thing I talked about a couple weeks ago, bait and switch. Oh, just pray a prayer and ask Jesus in your heart. And then next week I tell you, oh, you got actually stuff you have to do. Oh, you, you tricked me. You didn't tell me when I asked Jesus in my heart that I was going to have to be a disciple too. No, wrong church. I did tell you. And I will tell you. There's a cost of discipleship. If you call yourself a Christ follower, there should be evidence in your life that supports that. And I know these are cliche and kind of whatever, but I don't know how else to explain it. But if you were in a court of law and 11 of your peers, you were being tried in the jury, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christian? Would people around you see you? Are you in high school back there? Are you on college campus? If somebody came, the people that are around you, and they asked them, hey, are there any Christians around here? Would they point at you? Would they say, hey, that guy's a Christian? There, there, there should be evidence in our lives that, that, that we're following Christ. And there's a cost of discipleship. Well, when Constantine took the church over, he became the head of the, of the church. The next wave, this is 316, the next wave that we're going to get to next week, um, around the year 500 is when the Holy Roman Catholic Church took over. And we're going to see the things that they were doing in the next letter. But, but when Constantine took over and he married the church, and it was okay now to be a Christian in Rome, guess who would show up on Sunday? Everybody and anybody. And, and not only that, because the emperor, the president was going to church, also the, the politicians, the bosses, it was kind of now a little social club. You could go there, it was cool, you mingled, it's good for your business, it's good for life. You go out to eat afterwards. Everything's hunky-dory. There's no trouble. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to change your lifestyle. You can still worship your pagan gods and deities. We'll just mingle them with the Christian religions. We'll have Ishtar and 
all these other religions and stuff and it's okay and there's no cost. Do you know that's the danger in our churches today? Talked about it last week. We hit on it last week. That's what's happening in America today in a lot of different degrees. And listen, I, I want to be, be very careful that your experience on Sunday mornings when you come to church is, is corporate worship. It's an hour and a half of your life. It's prescribed by God and His Word, but it's not your Christianity. And I am not in charge of your walk with God. I'm here called of God to be a teacher of the Word and to be a helper of your joy. That's it. I'm not here to lord over you or tell you how to live your life or be your Holy Spirit. It's not my job to go up on the mountain like Moses and meet with God. Well, that is my job, to go up on the mountain and meet with God and then hear from God and tell you what God said and that, what I, that, what I heard, that which I heard from the Lord, that's which I deliver unto you. But if you're content just letting me go up on the mountain and meet with God and then come tell you what He said, you're doing it wrong. You're not walking with Jesus the way that God's prescribed. The veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And that can be the danger, especially, you know, some of these golden tongue preachers who, you know, that you can, hey, this guy don't have to. He has it all. He can, he's amazing and all this and that. But if, but if you come each week and this is your only time in the Word of God, it's your only time that you're spending with Jesus, it, it's, it's a wrong model. We, we are, again, we're prescribed to, to worship corporately. But don't be content letting somebody else in your life go up on the mountain and meet with God. In the Old Testament, only Moses was invited. In the New Testament, radically, we're all invited. You're invited to come and meet in the Holy of Holies. So, you guys want to do a last song? Okay, come on up, worship team. We'll be done. If you guys start soon, we'll end at 1140. That's about right. Children's ministry, they were here about 10 minutes, right? I'm going to read these last couple of verses. Maybe we'll pick up on some of them tomorrow. But as the worship team's coming up, keep your Bibles open just for a minute. Verse 12, these things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. Who has a sharp two-edged sword? Jesus. That's a Thracian sword. That's a, that's a bad-to-the-bone, big old sword. It's not the little Roman stabbard sword. They say that Thracian sword will cut from the top of your head to your groin in one thrust. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat the things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. You know what? I better stop because I, do, I don't want to just skip all that stuff next week. I think we should cover it. So I thought I was going to do two churches today. I only did one. Um, but we introduced the second one. Um, let's stand together. The worship team is going to play this last song. I encourage you guys just to hang out a few more minutes. Allow God's Spirit to work in your heart during this time. I know it feels like, and I don't believe, believe me, I've been where you are a million times, millions and millions of times, and I know how you feel at this time. It feels like it's time to go, but um, just one song. It takes three or four minutes to, to try to just get alone with God for a minute, worship the Lord. If God speaks to your heart, if you need individual prayer, um, Josh and Amber will be up front to pray with you. Um, Dave will be up front to pray with you. If you need individual prayers, we sing this last song. Come and 
come and receive that. If you want to be prayed to be healed for, if you want to ask Jesus in your heart, come forward and ask them to pray for you to ask Jesus in your heart. If, if you need any blessing or if you want to share a praise report, come and, and share that with the pastors and leaders. If you're a believer in here, then, and, and, and then pray where you are as we sing this last song. Pray for those that don't know Jesus. Pray for folks in here that, that need prayer. Pray for yourself. Pray for your lost um, friends and family. Amen? And I'm just asking for four more minutes, three or four more minutes, of us allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our service before we call it a day. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, that John wrote this in the year 96. And Lord, today it's so relevant to where we are. Lord, the persecuted church and Satan persecuted the church for 300 years and he switched his tactic in 316 and he joined the church. And Lord, that compromise that the church entered is way more dangerous than persecution. Father, check our hearts. Where have we compromised? Lord, what what areas of this church and of our lives personally and of our walks personally have we allowed compromise to creep in? God, convict us and we might repent. Show us, Lord God, and we might get right. And Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's worship the Lord together.